Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. This is the first episode of 2023, so let me wish you a happy new year, and hopefully you're ready, recharged, have some goals or resolutions that you haven't already forgotten about. And if it has anything to do with wealth, and remember, I always define wealth in that original meaning, uh, which is a state of well-being. So whether it be in that sense or in the more modern technical sense, dealing with your money and improving your budget and your economic situation, you've come to the right place because we're going to address all that as we always do uh, throughout the remainder of this year. But today's episode, to get us started, is going to be both a recap of 2022 and then we'll use that as a segue into an economic outlook for 2023. All right, so this will be a nice quick primer, get you up to speed and get you ready to, to know exactly what you got to do to get those wealth goals in order. But before we go there, I just want to share a theme for this episode, uh, which is one that I'm kind of stealing from a annual client letter that I send out to all of my investment clients. And that theme is one of framing. Okay, so in behavioral economics, there's what's called narrow framing. And then there's broad framing. Narrow framing is when someone looks at an incident or an investment or product in isolation, and they're not looking at mixing the other risks associated with that. They're just isolating one single risk and then making a judgment based upon that. Where broad framing is let's look at everything in totality. Let's look at a longer time horizon. Let's look at a wider scope of the risks or the benefits involved with a particular decision. Okay, so if any of you have read uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by the economist Daniel Kahneman, you might remember that there's two systems that we use in decision making. There's system one and there's system two. System one is the intuitive one, kind of the knee-jerk reaction. It's just the easy muscle memory of this is what we do or this is what we think okay that deals with narrow framing all right that's very emotional think of it that way system two as you might recall is the one that takes a little more time a little more thought that's the taking a step back and making a calculated judgment that requires broad framing okay less emotional more scientific so as we start to think about wealth management or risk management Think of those two systems, system one, quick, emotional, system two, a little more longer, thought out. And then we start to think about framing and how that kind of folds into the mix. Narrow framing is this just happened, I think X, Y, or Z. Broad framing is hang on a moment. Let's look at the whole picture here and think about what we should do moving forward. Naturally, broad framing, system two, those are the things that you want to utilize when you're speaking about finance, all right? You don't wanna have knee-jerk reactions or emotional responses. We all know that that's kind of the enemy of investment performance, successful investment performance. So I know I'm I'm getting a little long-winded here in this kind of philosophy, but I think it's critical that we take these mindsets into addressing our goals for the new year, all right? And just to elaborate that, to kind of add some context, There's been countless studies out there I've seen where if I were to approach you and say, we're going to flip a coin here. If it comes up tails, you'll lose $1,000. But if it comes up heads, you're going to win $10,000. All right. When most people are posed uh, with that that, uh, opportunity, 
the overwhelming majority actually say, no, I'll pass. I don't want to participate in that gamble. Why? Because they're looking at it from a narrow frame. I just have one try here. And what if that guy, what if Brian flips his coin and it comes up tails and then instantly I just lost $1,000, all right? So what that is when we look at this narrow frame is we see the power of loss aversion, of we could just end up losing that money, and then the power of regret. What if just a minute from now, I have that, that overwhelming regret of why did I just accept this gamble and now I'm out a thousand bucks? And that's why so many people, the overwhelming majority say, I'll pass on that opportunity. However, if we flip the script and we say, we're gonna do that same exercise, that coin flip, not once, but we're gonna do it a hundred times, okay? Now all of a sudden it's a different story and the overwhelming majority of people will take a step back, look at it, use their system to look at it from a broader context now, and they would gladly welcome that gamble. Because think of it, it we have a 50-50 chance. So if we just look at from the, the net effect of, expected effect, I should say, of 100 coin flips, we'd expect 50 times its tails, so we lose 50 grand, and then 50 times its heads, and we would win 500 grand, okay? So then our net expected return would be about $450,000 uh, from all those coin flips, okay? So one coin flip, it's kind of scary. We could lose $1,000. A hundred coin flips, we know the odds are extremely in our favor, and there's a tiny, tiny chance that we'd end up losing money in that proposition, and a very good chance that we'll win a lot of money. All right, so you have a narrow frame and you have a broader frame. And we want to keep that in mind with the markets and with investing. Because if we look at a narrow frame, if I say, hey, you can invest in the stock just this week, all right, it feels like a little bit of a roll of the dice, right? But if we say we can go into this index fund for the next five years, now it's a totally different story. It's like we now maybe have those hundred flips available to us. So keep that theme, that framing theme in mind as I start to share some of the data as we get into this uh, first episode of 2023. It's going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Cadena Podcast. So amid the flurry of uh, economic data, of headlines, of all these competing voices that kind of took over 2022, it's easy to kind of lose track of, of how we did, whether it's business-wise or with our investments. So again, I want to give you a quick recap for 2022. Here are all the year-end numbers from the major indexes uh, that you need to know, that you need to track uh, if you would consider yourself an investor. Uh, this is all from Yahoo Finance. So if we look at S&P 500, all right, this is the most quoted index there is, 500 biggest companies in the world. Uh, the S&P 500 finished 2022 in the negative 19.95%, okay? Now, if we wanna take a broader frame and we just are gonna use the first 22 years of the millennium, all right? Since 2000, the S&P 500 has given us an average return of 7.97%. All right, so last year, S&P down almost 20%. On average, since 2000, up about 8% a year. The Dow Jones, 
which comprises 30 biggest companies, um, gave us a negative return of about 9.2% last year. Okay, so it really outperformed the S&P. Um, and on average, since 2000, it's had a positive return of 9.23%. Okay, the NASDAQ, that's the tech heavy index, last year was down 33.89%. But remember, since 2000, it's been up about 7.53% annually. Crude oil, all right, one of the few winners uh, last year was the energy sector. Crude oil, WTI, which is West Texas Intermediate Crude, finished the year up 6.71%. And since 2000, it's averaged about 9.63% annually. Gold, all right, here again, this is where a lot of people can get lost again in that daily grind and all the competing headlines. You would think that gold is supposed to do really well amid inflation or economic turmoil, such as 2022. Gold actually finished the year down 0.13%, okay, so about even on the year. However, since 2000, gold has averaged a 24.95% return. Pretty darn good. We're going to get into that in a moment, too. The Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, all right, this is what people think of as fixed income, my slow and steady, my conservative piece of the portfolio, finished the year negative 13.01%. All right, so I'll repeat that again. The Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index was down 13%, where the Dow Jones, one of the big stock indexes, was down 9%. All right, so that's where some people could say, well, what's so safe about fixed income? It looks like the volatile stock market actually did better in that negative year. And again, depending how you frame it, that could be correct when comparing it to the Dow. Uh, the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate bond has averaged a 4.11% return since 2000. Bitcoin, okay, certainly the craze over the past several years. Bitcoin was down 64.15% last year. All right, if we look back to 2009, its inception, uh, it's up over 719% a year. Um, please do note that those figures can be quite skewed when you're looking at a starting point of zero uh, in the very early days, obviously. Tesla, okay, another very popular stock, one of the biggest companies in the world. Tesla had its worst year yet, down 65.03% last year, really took a beating. However, since 2010, when it IPO'd, it's been up about 583% annually. Amazon, all right, which is one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, who doesn't know Amazon or use it almost on a daily basis? Amazon had one of its worst years ever, finishing down 49.62%. Literally lost a trillion dollars of market value and watched its uh, market value get cut in half. Okay, that's the first time that's ever happened in history. However, since 2000, Amazon has had an annual return of roughly 114%. And then Occidental Petroleum, going back to one of the winners uh, last year in the energy sector, Occidental Petroleum finished the year positive 117%, maybe the biggest winner of the year in the large cap space. However, since 2000, it's had an average return of 25.53%, also pretty impressive. 
Okay, so what I just shared with you guys was narrow time frames, narrow frames of 2022, and then a broader frame of 2000. But one must then ask, you know, well, what qualifies as a narrow frame? And then how broad of a frame is really broad enough? Okay, like some of the data I just shared, if we look at gold, you know, that would seem pretty attractive. It was pretty much flat last year. And then, like I said, since 2000, it's been up about almost 25% annually. However, the astute investor will remember that in the 80s and the 90s, gold was seen to have just a steady decline year over year for nearly two decades. So it's difficult to call that a strong performer on a consistent basis when we have that you know statistic right there. That's a pretty broad frame to have all of the 80s and the 90s to, to uh, consider. And also the majority of that, that gain that I explained since year 2000 occurred in the first decade in the 2000s, okay? And then if we look at Occidental Petroleum, again, a, a huge winner last year, narrow time frame looks great, all right? 117% return in a down market, who wouldn't take that? And then over that broad frame since 2000, also looks really impressive, like I alluded to about a 25% return annually. However, if you purchase Occidental Petroleum at its peak in April of 2011, you would still be down 37% from when you purchased it in 2011. So again, guys, we're looking at framing. We're, we're all just participating in our investment for a period of time. And at the end of the day, that's what matters to us. Okay, so the moral of this story here, guys, is we're looking at, you know, a broad representation of indices, uh, commodities, stocks, bonds, pretty broad time frame that I just provided, you know, the first 22 years of of the new millennium. And you'll note that every one that I listed has a positive total gain and a positive average return over these 22 years. Okay, so the point I, I keep driving at is when we use narrow framing, at one point or another, every one of these indexes or every one of these stocks has had a chance to play the hero or the villain. It just matters when you held it and when you cashed out. Okay, and that's why we always want to think about things in kind of more of the broad, that system to that calculated, uh, unemotional way of making decisions. Because we realize that over time, you know, these things can work to our benefit. Um, however, if we're in the, that narrow framing, that's where we can make some harmful mistakes uh, when we have emotional decision making. Okay, so that's a little bit of where we've been, you know, kind of applying that theme of framing to uh, 2022 and, and, you know, what we've experienced so far in, in this century. But what matters, of course, to you guys is, well, what are we looking for for 2023? So just to blend it all together, 2022, guys, was the year that was driven by the Fed. If you paid any attention at all to, to finance or the, econ the economy, you just got sick and tired of hearing about inflation. And then that tagline that good news is bad news and bad news is good news, okay, which I'll get into just in a moment. But I want you all to remember that in December of 2021, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, was 7%. Okay, that was the highest level in over 40 years. So we had inflation really starting to rear its head before we even got into last year. 
And at that time, the federal funds effective rate was 0.8%, or excuse me, 0.08%. It was at rock bottom. And you might remember that when people said, wow, this inflation number is off the charts, the Fed came back and said, oh, it's just transitory. It's this stimulus working its way through the economy and a bit of this little supply chain issue that we're dealing with, uh, with the microchips and what's going on over in China and as a fallout from COVID. So remember, it was quickly dismissed as transitory. So the Fed entered 2022 with a target interest rate of 025 to 0.5%. We all know what happened last year. They began to you know, hike rates quickly and aggressively as they went from saying that inflation's transitory to inflation is pretty much a state of emergency. And they ended up hiking nearly 10 times their expected rate up to 4.50%. Right? And at the same time, they were ending quantitative easing if you're you know, following that. So it was these really fast, these really aggressive rate hikes that were stripping the economy of liquidity, pulling all of this kind of frothy money that they kept talking about out of the economy, and that was hammering the stock market. And at the same time that interest rates were going up, remember that bonds act like a seesaw, the value of bonds were plummeting, and that's where we had that double whammy last year with the stock market and the bond market both getting hit you know, really hard. However, the point that I want to use as kind of a segue into this year is when the Fed makes adjustments to interest rates, there is a significant lag to that actually matriculating through the economy. A lot of economists will say it could be 12 to 18 months before the economy starts to reflect that recent Fed rate decision. So remember, the stock market is a leading economic indicator. As soon as the Fed even whispers something, the stock market can react to that and traders are buying and selling based on that rumor or that comment. So as they were hiking rates all of last year, the market could immediately react to that. All right, Remember that narrow time frame. And that's where we saw the S&P go down almost 20%. But the economy and what's actually happening is another story. All right, We've yet to really experience these higher interest rates yet. The costs of a higher interest mortgage, the costs of our credit cards, our personal loans becoming more expensive, the cost for businesses to go borrow, all of these things have yet to really hit the economy. And that's what we're going to start to see in 2023. So I'm sure you've kept on hearing, you know, is a recession coming? You know, and you can go back and listen to prior episodes on what the technical definition of a recession is. But for an investor, what they're more concerned about is, well, how is my portfolio doing? I don't care what you're going to call a recession or not a recession. Show me the bottom line of how we're performing. And keep in mind, historically, the stock market has fallen most sharply before a recession and then actually performs best with its rebound in the middle of the recession and then towards the end of the recession. Okay, At least historically, that's what data has shown us. So we've seen what interest rates have done. The Fed, you know, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said that they're going to slow down the rate hikes. We'll see how that plays out. He's been very aggressive this far. And then what I think you're going to see this year is now going to be driven all by earnings reports. How are companies actually performing now in this new economy that they've created? And then the magic question that every investor wants to know is, was the stock market's guess last year? of essentially a reduction of 20%, was that pain 
accurate enough to what's actually going to occur in the economy with consumer spending and with business performance. And that's what's going to guide, you know, I think a lot of this year. So what I'd like to wrap up with, there's no perfect investment, of course. If there was, we'd all be in it. What I think time has shown us time and time again is that diversification is what can kind of smooth a lot of that volatility. And then looking things again at that broader frame. Remember, if we looked at the average return of every index in each of those stocks I listed a moment ago, since year 2000, they are all positive. But if we just look at last year, the overwhelming majority of them, of course, were negative. And so we need to kind of think about that. Do we want to make a decision quickly on one year or on one month or one quarter? Or do we want to take this larger basket of data and be able to say, okay, we have more coin flips, going back to that example, over the course of our career or our retirement, and then make decisions based from that standpoint. All right, so we'll have a lot to get into this year. Um, You know, we're going to be along for the ride. We're going to see what the Fed's going to do. Hopefully they calm down a little bit. Um, Again, going back to framing, maybe the Fed even falls prey to that. I mean, in December of 2021, inflation, no big deal, even though it's through the roof. And then all of a sudden in March of 2022, it's public enemy number one and all hands are on deck to try and combat inflation. So you could see how quickly that they just changed their standpoint and then the trickle effect, of course, that that had to the entire economy. And now we'll see if they want to immediately pump the brakes on fighting inflation and let the economy start to kind of capture its footing. Or are they just going to keep the pedal to the floor? You know, time will tell. Um, but if at least all we can go off of is, is expectations and, and some of the information that's provided. And thus far, you know, I think that's the silver lining here is that they are going to slow down. Hopefully the market has accurately predicted last year the pain to come and that now we can kind of turn that bend as an investor Uh, and remember chaos breeds opportunity that may have opened up a lot of new investment ideas uh, for people to think of and these are not recommendations but Amazon did you think that that would lose half of its value last year is that an accurate assessment you know that's where sometimes uh, you know it might be a resetting of value but perhaps there's new discounts available too Um, So these are things that you want to start to kind of think about as you weigh your investments. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. If you have questions, topics, guests that you want to see on the show, email us at thekadernapodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to a great 2023. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. 
Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Caderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Caderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.